Lately, I've been thinking a lot about art. Specifically, what really counts as art? Is art the thing that we make? Or is it in the doing, the making itself? Or is art in the reaction to the work, the results of the doing? Or is it something else entirely that's personal to each of us? I really don't know. Historically, I have been very hesitant to call the things that I make art regardless of the discipline or media. It just feels like that's a label that someone else should choose to apply or not to the work that I do. I'm okay referring to myself as artistic because in my head, that's a value that somehow feels tied more to the process, to the making, and less to the end product, at least for me. Regardless, I called John up to see if he'd be willing to wrestle with it for an hour or so. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. I've been watching a lot of Brian Eno interviews. Cool. Uh, yeah, and... You know, he's he's one of those bucket list people like I mm-hmm. I don't know if he would ever. I mean, he probably wouldn't. But on the off chance that he would, I've been I've been jotting down some of his uh, his sayings and some of these things. And, and he did a couple things for the BBC in 2017. And one of them was the, there were these series of videos on on electronic music. And one of them was how to do a drum track. Another one was kind of a, a, a how he creates some of the ambient music that you'll hear on, you know, Apollo or music for airports or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating, John, because he, he uses logic and he uses scripts to set up the rules of the music's creation. Okay. So he'll have a sequence, like he'll have a random sequence of notes that, that gets generated, but he will transpose. Like if, if a, if a B comes up because he doesn't think the B note particularly fits his style or, or audio aesthetic, he'll have that transposed to a different note. Gotcha. And then he'll use another script to say, take 12% of these notes and shift them up one semitone. And then take 14% of these notes and shift them down a semitone. And then randomly, like just all of the, he's using math to create music. And then he'll, he'll, he'll let it run and he'll go do something in the other room. Uh, you know, read some poetry, drink a cup of tea, whatever it is. And he'll listen to this music and, and sort of hear how it feels and, and notice how it sounds. And then he'll go make corrections, not in terms of, composition or performance but he'll make corrections to the scripting to the math behind it and then run it again and see how that sounds and run it again and see how that sounds and i just i thought it was so fascinating and if i ever do get the chance to talk to him i would love to ask about using those tools that are available and at what point at what point does it no longer count as you making. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, um, I gotcha. How using all of the available tools and, and not just performance counts as craft. 
You know, so his craft, yes, he's, he, he can perform, he can play music, actually physically play music, yes. But another, another aspect of his craft is being able to use these other tools, and in this case, technology, to extend his own capability. And, and does that still count as craft? Uh, my gut reaction is it 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 would have to mm-hmm. because whether you're creating something real or or digital, you're still creating, right? So then, why the pushback in in the photographic landscape? Why the pushback on people who use program mode? rather than manual why is manual somehow more artistic or more professional or more you know in insert the phrase here when engineers spend countless hours perfecting these automated systems to give you balanced exposure perfect backlighting you know whatever it might be but somehow we still insist on taking the reins because that speaks to craft. I don't know, speaks to a dedication to craft that goes beyond just using the program mode. I'm not quite sure. I think it becomes, uh, how to put this photography is weird, but particularly in the digital sense, because what is required for artistic talent, if you want to say, that threshold is a lot lower than the other artistic mediums. Like, you know, right now, in order to get a sharp photograph, all you have to do is press a button down halfway. And you you have an objectively successful photograph. Right. And so there's... I think there's almost this thing where photographers want to want to create obstacles in order to validate their own uh, craft if you want to say or their own talent or their own skill hmm. you see where i'm getting at yeah like, but i i wonder why the cherry picking we'll let the camera focus for us and that's perfectly acceptable oh yeah <laughs> But, you know, you can focus for me, but don't choose my exposure. You can choose my focus point. You can choose that. But if you choose my fo- my exposure, well, then then that's cheating somehow. And I, I, I've never really understood it, partially because I've never really been a fan of manual mode for my own photography. I use aperture priority and, ex- and the exposure compensation wheel. And that and I'm good. Yeah. Uh, now, often like you can't like. You can't be sitting, you know, especially certain type of photography, you can't be sitting around trying to figure out like what's the best, you know, the best aperture, best shutter speed, like all the details. Like if you're on a st- on the street with ever changing light conditions, the last thing you the last thing you want to do is get someone's the perfect expression or the perfect like shirt to back top drop, you know. Right thing and then miss it because you manually set the shutter speed to you know sunny and it was in the shade right oops <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah or we or we'll use auto iso you know mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, you know, it's just, so I was thinking about this and it, and it kind of struck me as, as an interesting topic. Do you know Joshua Davis? Yeah. yeah okay. I do. So for those who, who are listening that, that don't know Joshua Davis, uh, Josh is an artist. He's a programmer. I first became aware of his work in, gosh, it must've been 99 or 2000. He was working for a company called Kyokin and doing a lot of flash action scripting. Um, one of his big claim to fame at the time, and he's gone on to much bigger things since, but one of the big claims to fame and, and what kind of got him a lot of notice in the flash community was uh, the, the site for Bad Boy Records, uh, Diddy's record label. And it was beautiful. And, and the action script that he wrote for it is phenomenal. Really, at the time, we had never seen anything really like it. And people were trying to sort of deconstruct how he did it. And, and uh, I met him at Flash Forward in maybe 2001, 2000 or 2001 in San Francisco. And he gave this talk and, and talked about, even then, about his goal was to try and break math. His goal was to try, and he didn't know a lot about math, and he admitted that he wasn't really a numbers guy or a math person, but he was messing with generative and regenerative art and using math to create art. And has, you know, in the past 20 odd years, has created some incredibly beautiful work, uh, work that arguably he wouldn't have been able to create in any other way. Um, not that it couldn't have been created maybe, but he perhaps could not have created it. And it's really, really wonderful work. And I, I would ask him maybe a very similar question to, to the question I'd love to ask Eno. And that is, you know, at, at what point does it, does it cease to be art if ever, uh, when you're depending on the machine for so much of its creation. Yes, you're inputting parameters, you're writing um, scripts in, I think he uses processing, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on that. Anyway, so you're setting up the logic, you're setting up the rules, you're, you're giving sort of parameters to the universe, and then you're letting it run and see what comes out and making tweaks along the way. I still think it's art because I think the art is still in the process of establishing those rules, but I wonder what sort of the industry at large or, or how would, how would a painter or a sculptor react to seeing that type of work? And, and, and is it in the same ballpark to them? Mm -hmm. Do you think art, do you think that how a piece of art is created? Uh, does that diminish if a piece of art has the impact that art does mm -hmm. to, does to the viewer? How, do you mean? Do, or, yeah. Do yeah, okay. to like the viewer does how it's created. Does that, would that is almost knock it out of the, the term art. Like, is there, if it's still, if you want to say has the impact of art, is how it's created, could that potentially, I don't know, neg negate whether it's called art? To me, 
I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with that one because there are a lot of pieces that I look at that I, I don't know how they are created and they still resonate with me. They still connect with me on a, on an aesthetic or, or sometimes even an emotional level. But in learning that context of, of how they were created, who or what created them, that can add to it, you know, but then there are other people like, uh, oh, what's the guy that did, uh, who's, oh, that did the, 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 the diamond skull, uh, Damien Hurst, Damien Hurst. So he comes up with a lot of this stuff, but he's got teams of people that are actually doing the production. So mm -hmm. in that case, is it still his art or does it become a collaborative effort between sort of the idea maker and the art maker if those are two separate entities? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I heard an interesting sort of notion that I hadn't really considered before. Mm -hmm. But uh, this guy was talking and he said, um, the point of art is, n is not to make something beautiful. The point of art is to make the viewer think. Hmm. I, I can agree with that. And, and that sort of, it's one of those where like I simultaneously believed it was true and hadn't considered that before. Mm -hmm. Like, and which is why, like, if you want to say so much of the more, if you want to look at photography, some of the more, the pretty pictures that don't, we've all seen, you know, that don't, that you don't really, at least I personally don't really resonate with. Mm -hmm. Like that explained all that, you know, that. Sure. Pretty pictures of pretty places. I think we've talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a perfect way to, to sum it up. So are those things, are those things not art for you or do, I guess one of the problems I have is if everything is art, then nothing's art. Mm -hmm. So how do we, where do we draw the line? Or is it completely subjective at the behest of the individual, at the behest of the viewer? You know, because I, I know people that can look at Warhol and go, that's crap. I don't like that. That's not art or, or Pollock. My kid could do that. I mean, we've all heard that. Yeah. I mean, it's wrong, but okay. Do you think a piece, a piece of a photograph mm -hmm. or a painting, mm -hmm. do you believe it could be art to one person and not art to another? Absolutely. And since both are true simultaneously, that neither negates the fact that that is art. Is well, that one of yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what sort of throws me, right? Is if, if we still want to call it art and maybe we're wasting too much time deciding whether or not it is art, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But if, if, if we're not, and, and we're trying to figure out where the art is, maybe the art is in, the process. Maybe the art isn't in the end product, but in the process used to make it, you know, the end product is, is God, what did, what did the end process or the end product is, is evidence of it, but it's not, it's not the art. It itself is not the art. I don't know. I mean, 
maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. See, see, I would, I would almost approach it from the, the flip side. How so? Where something is art. If it, if it elicits the response of art. Regardless of how it was made. Correct. So it becomes, it's so, so you're taking it a step further and saying art, art is as neither the process nor the end product. Art is the response. In a sense, yes. Hmm. And, and I'll put a caveat that, that that, that (laughs) this is not like asterisks as, as this is a, a thought or an idea that I'm currently working out in real time. So don't hold me. Right. (laughs) Like if someone comes up with a better. You're hearing the gears grind (laughs) forward and backward on this one. Yeah. 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 So like I reserve the right to change my mind. (laughs) See, but that's an interesting perspective that, that the product and process by which it was made both are merely there to serve the response to it because like when i think of it like oh a person like vivian mayer's work Mm -hmm. from the artist artist perspective no one should have seen those images maybe i mean that may be too sweeping of a statement but like but she didn't when she she didn't make a lot of effort to get them seen to make her herself Correct. known as a photographer. Yeah, I think we can agree on Correct. that. Correct. Yeah. And yet there's images that now we we'd put in that we'd label as art now. Sure. Alongside the Winograns and the and the you know, whoever else. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Or or the same as you know, there are images that were almost taken at like via like a snapshot would mm-hmm. that captured a place in time in such a way that it now elicits a response that is almost transcendent from the from the intention that was originally created right but with okay with regard to Vivian Mayer where okay <laughs> Okay, my gears are grinding too, so here we go. <laughs> Where was the art for her, if not in the process? Because there were hundreds and thousands, from what I understand, roles that were undeveloped. So she never even saw the result. Therefore, she couldn't have the reaction to the end product. All she could react to was the moment in which those pictures were captured. Does I mean, this we have just lost cabin pressure. (laughs) (laughs) This begs another question of like, does the artist need to respond to the work they're creating for it to be art? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that's, (laughs) we go on a tangent of a tangent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hashtag podcast title. Right. Um, or band name. Um, yeah, that's a that's a new show podcast or band name. <laughs> oh, that would be great. <laughs> oh, because like part of the I feel like especially with Vivian Mayer is that she was using the camera as a means of processing the world around her. Mm-hmm. Whatever collection of life experience and personality and all that rolled into one. She felt the need to explore the world she interacted with through the camera. Right. But again, I have a hard time with that because what was, 
And, and we have no way to know whether she, to my knowledge anyway, there, she didn't write about it as far as I know. We have no way to know whether she enjoyed the process of making pictures, whether it was a compulsion, whether it was a chore. What, how did she view this body of work? And, and for those of you who make things that are listening to this show, I would ask you the same question. Is your joy, because hopefully you experience joy from your work on some level, is your joy derived from you seeing the final work, you seeing someone else see the final work, the process of making the work, or D, none of the above? I mean, like, for me personally, part of the joy of making the work for me is is figuring out the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I, we talked about this. Right, right. Not See, sure, uh, you know. in between it, 10, I think it's 10. Um, and that the the camera in some ways is just the means means to an end. Right. Maybe that's too cold of a, a a way to put it, but like the camera is the is the equipment to the game. And this is the game I'm playing of trying to take the world that we see every day and distill something out of that world that's interesting and moves people. You know, that that take some take the ordinary and create some form of awe or wonder or curiosity out of it for you as the maker or for the audience as the viewer or or both both because at times i feel like i'm the creator and the audience in Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. you know because there's been plenty of times where i've looked at a photograph and part of me goes wow someone who took that like there's that like (laughs) almost like (laughs) you like you know like how'd they do it and it's like oh yeah i did it like right. you know things i've done and created have caught me by surprise and that and that's in some ways why i liked film so much which is a whole different discussion we can get into but like part of that that captivated me was when i pulled film out of the developing tank because it came it went in as a mystery and I got to, uh, if you want to say, unwrap the present, sure. so to speak. So are are those those moments of of catching yourself off guard or catching yourself by surprise? Are those? And this is going to be, I'm going to butcher this language completely, but are are those pictures more art than the pictures that don't catch you by surprise, or is the art for you in some other aspect of your work? Uh, no, they. D- I don't know, like, I don't think art's the right term for it, but those those pictures that catch me by surprise, they are, to use my own bad term for it, more valuable to me. Mm-hmm. They're 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 more special. Okay. They, you know, they're they're of a some form a higher order. Why is that? Because you didn't see it coming. Because it introduced some sort of randomness or or happy accident or because i remember yesterday not yesterday uh, a couple days ago we were talking about the woman in red that photograph Mm -hmm. 
which is still one of my favorite photographs of yours. But part of the success of that photograph, as we were talking, was a mistake, yes? Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I was trying to push 100-speed film to 800, which, if people are wondering, is very possible. But I then, because of my inexperience in developing the color film at home, using that process, I believe I developed it an incorrect time at too hot a temperature. Mm -hmm. And so the colors on it shifted. In particular, the reds became far more saturated, right. which, which in later research is one of the things that the Ektar, which is the film from Kodak that I was using, is one of the byproducts of it. Mm -hmm. So, okay, but, what, what were, you were using Ektar 100? Because we will get questions about this. Yes. Yeah, Ektar 100. Okay. And I was pushing it to 800. Okay. So... The, because I, if you want to say I messed up on so many different parts, <laughs> not, not just one <laughs> listeners. <laughs> no, no, because I compounded my error in such a way that it's, it becomes one of those where it's like, okay, in order to even achieve an image in that ballpark with that same feel, I have to then deconstruct how I messed up mm -hmm. like on so many levels right. so that in some ways, it, it, it almost feels like a gift that was given to me right? rather than something I was created. And I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But for those of you who are maybe not really familiar with John's work, it's a standout piece. If, if you put up a grid of 64 of your pictures, that's a standout piece. Mm -hmm. The composition, the color. And what's interesting is... is even if you could deconstruct that, even if you could figure out where you, quote unquote, went wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your words. Um, yeah. That's only solving half of the equation. That's solving, that's solving the darkroom side of the equation. The other side of the equation, the shooting conditions, you need something in that red range. You need something with that much light hitting the surface of it. Otherwise, it's still not going to work. Even if you solve the chemistry problem and even if you solve the temperature problem, you still have to have that right subject matter and the right amount of contrast and light shadow ratio for, for that to work. Yeah? Yeah. Because that, that was a, a lady in a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. A gap opening the, in the crowd of maybe a second and the crowd closed up and I don't know where she went. Right. So like to get all those things correct with like a model would be difficult. Right. And, and see this, this is what's interesting about, about that particular picture and about your process. And we've talked about this a number of times where you have gone out with very specific intentions and as luck or the muse or the universe or however you want to call it would have it, you come back with something completely different that you couldn't have predicted, but has taken at least your thinking about the process in a completely different direction. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like, uh, like it's like unintentional art or art in the margins of, of trying to get somewhere else. And 
I think that's what what's so fascinating to kind of go back full circle for a minute. That's what's been so fascinating about the Joshua Davis stuff and the Brian Eno stuff is they're setting up loosely, setting up the rules of the game and then seeing where it goes. And I think part of the art in those cases becomes a curation process of being able to pull out slices of what's been generated and go, yep, that works. And I think it's almost being able to look at something and and be able to maybe not maybe not know but feel that there's something of value in the output Mm -hmm. to be able to look at and go okay this may not be what i'm going for but this piece is Mm -hmm. or this piece shows promise of that right 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 which comes down to sort of being present for that right i mean because it's it's easy and uh, we've probably all done it where we get so focused on trying to make or achieve or build X that anything but X gets immediately discarded. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because that's not what we were going for. And it's in some of those quiet you know, moments when you're kind of going through your whatever it is, your, your Lightroom catalog, your Capture One catalog, the back of your phone, whatever it is. And you go, huh, I never, I never noticed that one before. Yeah. I mean, this, this might... <laughs> Some people might roll my eyes on this this analogy, but or this story. But I heard a portrait photographer who still uses a large format camera, or I believe, and he was talking about how he has a problem with taking portraits in the more like studio environment with a digital camera and a screen that kicks the output out. Because then all then you all you're doing is trying to create the image that's in his head and it becomes you take a frame, you look at the screen. Does it match what I'm looking for? Yes or no. Do it again till we get that image. And he he was like, especially when you're dealing with individuals, they will always give you something you're not expecting. Uh, Hold on. Hold on. Back up for a second individuals how like as as subjects as as subjects yeah okay okay that they will always give you something as a photographer you're not expecting or you didn't know was there and that he didn't want to get lit he by not being able to see the end result yes large format has a ground glass you see like it's not as clean an analogy as maybe i'm implying but because he wasn't able to see the results, he can get something that he was on. He wasn't expecting going into that portrait session. Hmm. And I think, I think when you have a direct link between what you're creating and sort of judging your creation, when that loop is, is almost milliseconds between creating and judging your own work then it becomes a matter of just trying to reproduce what's in your head and you reduce the possibilities of catching yourself by surprise. Hmm. That's also coming from someone who, who loves chaos, shoots film, does things messy. Like, so, and I, I fully admit that, that there's multiple ways of doing things. Is analog photography really the only path for your 
self-expression, for your creative expression? Could, could you create, now this is assuming that there was, that there was skill and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe a history, but could you create music and be as satisfied as you are in the chaos of, of the analog photography world? Or could you write or could you, are there any other creative pursuits that would, that would light you up the way chaos and, and the unpredictability of analog photography has? I think so because like, I don't, I'm comfortable in chaos, but that's not my only thing. Mm -hmm. If you want to say like, I example, I guess I know. I guess I would. I probably would be more defined by being comfortable in uh, in uncomfortable situations. <laughs> that's probably that's pro- now that I think about it. That's probably a little more <laughs> present. Than, Disregard yeah. my previous response. Yeah. Remember what I said? I had the right to change my mind. So there you go. <laughs> um, no, I've thought about doing some interesting stuff playing around with like modular synthesizers. Right. You know, but then it becomes a, like a chaos of, of just trial and error and putting connecting wires to wires, which doesn't seem to have the same appeal. No, no, but like it's def, I definitely caught my attention Mm -hmm. because it, it, it caught enough my curiosity that I, I spent two days on YouTube but not enough that I started dropping money on modular synthesizers. Right. You know, like that, that type of flip, you know, I've actually thought of in the future, buying one of those like Rico GRs, mm-hmm. the new ones that mm-hmm. just came out and going, what would happen if I just shot street photography sort of under the radar for 20 years and just created a body of work? Like that thought has bounced around my head more than once. I could see and that from you. I, I could, I could absolutely see that from you. Because, because then course, I'm apparently I'd have to wait a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 I probably will end up not being patient enough to yeah, just I, being like, Hey, by the way, here's this, is what I'm working on. So, um, but then, then I'm merely re- replacing the chaos of how I create with the chaos that is the street mm-hmm. you know like i'm i'm literally just flipping the side where the chaos resides not the fact that there is chaos because even thinking of doing more portraits i'm the way i'm thinking about it is in a giant like building a 20 by 24 inch camera and shooting either were like wet plate or dry plates mm-hmm that's something that you've you've kept coming back to the idea of one-offs. That's mm-hmm. that that idea seems like it, it's got quite an allure for you, where you have one chance to get one photo, and there's one copy of it, and that's it. Because I like part of me is it's such such a flip to how we operate in today's world. Mm-hmm. You know immediacy multiple infinite copies really yeah 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 it forces you to to be present in a way like by the nature of the process by the size by its cost like it 
everything forces you to create this thing that is in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then it's something where you create an object that translates infinitely better in real life than it does on the screen. I've seen people create like four by five wet plates in person or Mm -hmm. eight by 10 wet plates, either one. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's just a, like, uh, it, it feels like someone just did a magic trick. Right. (laughs) You know, that, that like where half of you is like, I saw that. And the other half is that didn't happen. Right. Like, well, and, and there, there is that sort of, you know, a magic trick is a great analogy. There is that drama because they go behind the curtain mm-hmm. with this box and come back with either a glass plate or, or a tintype. And you <laughs> go, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Even more than that, like when they go in the back to develop it and then they, they show you a plate that has a negative on it and then they drop it in the fixer and it flips. And then it flips. Yeah. Yeah. In real time. You know, so object objects like that always have like they have a thing that I resonate with, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a way, like back to your question of the digital camera, like. I don't know, it just doesn't it doesn't feel like me. I wonder if it's because part, part of what I see in you is arts like a sine curve for you in that there's a point of connection to it, you know, sort of at the, at the, at the, let's say, let's call it the downward, that downward arc. There's a, there's a point of connection Mm -hmm. where you connect to the art and then that sine wave ramps up and you are apart from it. You are disconnected from it because that's where chaos lives and chaos goes ahead and does its thing. And then it comes back down and reconnects with you in, in the end product. But that, that space between those points is up for grabs. It's anybody's guess. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be a necessary component to your art making that, that there has to be, you know, it's, it's a boomerang, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it, what it does out there. I have no idea. I just know I have to be standing over here to catch it. Another way to put it is that like, I feel that there a lot of a lot of artists are talented they get execute better they have better ideas and where my talent lies is being brave slash stupid enough to do something that they wouldn't do (laughs) (laughs) and then being okay with like living with the results right that like that to me is almost where how i feel my talents lie like i don't i don't feel like I outthought somebody when I make a picture. Like, I don't feel like I have better like technique than someone. I just feel like I did something stupid long enough that I figured that something cool came out of it. Hmm. You know, like that's like, that's like, I'm comfortable going like, Oh, okay. That's trash. That's trash. That's trash. Oh, there we go. Right. You know, like that's. (laughs) Yeah. You're, you're cool with the, with art as a long game. Rather than I need to go out and make a piece of art today. Yeah. And, and like, I, I know you may not, you may not view it a hundred percent this way, but like one of the reasons I 
love looking at your paintings is because I see the mixture of talent from an execution standpoint and then compositions and like you you invested thought into not only making them look interesting but say something like all that basically when I look at your paintings I see the opposite of me which is why I think they're cool. Oh, well thank you. I I appreciate that. I mean there there's definitely there's definitely some chaos in there because what you, you know, you see an end product, but what you, what you don't see, what viewers don't see, and you see little bits of it, I guess, are the multiple layers that I've been unhappy with or frustrated by or didn't do what I wanted them to do or in the process of, of trying to cover it up or somehow erase it something new emerged and I went, wait a minute, that's kind of neat. And that takes it in a different direction. And it Mm -hmm. happens more often than not. I feel like when I start something, I have an idea, but then for those days, weeks, or sometimes months that it takes to finish something, I'm kind of along for the ride Mm -hmm. until it gets to a point that I, that I can see it come back. It's almost like I don't feel like I'm on the plane until it's ready to land, <laughs> you know, and then I go, oh, shit, I got a flare Yeah, because I haven't I've I've been, I don't know, in the back eating pretzels for the last six hours. You start every movie that they have on the <laughs> screen. <laughs> start them, mind you. Yeah. I don't finish them. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're like, oh, I meant to watch. I don't oh, know, my God. The first 10 minutes of this are so good. Yeah. <laughs> But that, I mean that, and I think that's part of what, for for me, that has become my routine is starting something, starting a a a, a painting, even a conversation. You know, I I will often have a, an idea of where I'd like to start, but beyond that, I'm along for the ride. You know, mm-hmm. I I'm I try to be present and I try to respond and I try to to. You know, if, if someone like on a PD or something like that says something that, that I'd like a little more about, or, or that I think we could maybe go a little deeper, or maybe they were holding something back, I might try and stay there for a little while and see if, if there's something, something else. Mm -hmm. But part of what I love about this podcasting as a, as a craft and, and maybe as an art, I don't know is the unpredictability of it is I, I don't know how you're going to respond. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what shape that conversation is going to take, but if I can be, if I can be present in the process, if I can be present for that individual and, and listen and pick up on little nuances or, or, or maybe doors that have been kicked open a little bit and go into those, you know, those doors, that's where something amazing happens, mm-hmm. but I couldn't predict it. Yeah. Yeah. And like we both talked about our frustration here, listening to a podcast interview where somebody said something interesting and they just went on to the next question. Went on to the next thing. And you go, wait a minute, <laughs> wait, go back, <laughs> rewind. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, they just open the door and you just walk past it to the next room. And you're yeah. Like, oh. And when, when that, 
when the, and I, I know we're jumping all over the map here, but when when that connection happens, I mean, I spoke to somebody the other day who is going to be a, a guest on Process Driven, and what what was meant to be a a, a quick hello phone call turned into two hours plus of us just talking and it, and it mm-hmm. was such an, a, an amazing experience. And I'm, I'm so grateful that this person was willing to let the conversation keep going, you know, and it was just really cool, you know, and we mm-hmm. could have rolled tape on it. We can, in fact, we, each of us at, at several different occasions said, Oh man, I wish we were rolling tape on this because that was really interesting or that was really great. And, and it, but in the end it was, we both had said, you know what? I'm actually kind of glad we didn't do that. I'm glad we didn't record this because now it just exists as this thing between us. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll write something about it for, for an iteration or something. But I think part of, part of what we get caught up in is worrying so much about what the thing, whatever that thing is that we're making or trying to make, what that thing looks like, what it tastes like, what it smells like, what it sounds like, what it has to be that we lose sight of being present to get it there. Yeah. Or I could be completely wrong, which I probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's what we should call the podcast. Yeah. Or I could be completely or wrong. Or I could be completely wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, companion show to, I may have overthought this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I still think that would be a great sh- Show title. <laughs> yeah, I may have overthought this. Yeah. <laughs> All of this stuff around around art and around finding your voice and and thinking about you know bodies of work and legacy and and connecting to people and serving an audience and all of those things are man, they are swimming so heavily around in my head lately. And I I don't know. I don't know how that's going to look, how that, that, I don't know what it's going to come out as. It might be paintings, a body of new work. It might be another show. It might be, you know, something written. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to be present in it and just let it tell me where it wants me to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's in the end, that's, all you can do mm-hmm. you know there is a a story of a poet that elizabeth gilbert told a story in her famous ted talk mm-hmm. where she said she asked someone asked this poet like where she gets her poems and she said they they basically come to her in the wind and that she has to run and grab her her pen and paper and write them down as fast as she can before they're gone before they're gone. Wow. And part of me almost feels that way that there are images and things out there that are, that want to be created and are merely looking for someone to manifest it into reality. Right. And they go searching around until they find that person. Yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of that the the ideas are out there, whether we grasp them or not, whether we are able to see them, feel them, taste them, or not, they're still out there. Mm-hmm. 
Cause like the, I mean, you, you probably had the same experience where sometimes you've done things and you're like, where did that come from? For better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But like, yeah, you know, I mean, you could make the case that our, our job is to keep on working so that those ideas will find, as they say, they don't find someone, an artist at rest. Yeah. And I think that's something that, at least for me, has been one of the more difficult things to to continue to hold on to is, is to not let my own frustrations or, or my own obstacles stop my hands from moving, stop me from making, stop having conversations, whatever it is, because it's only in the doing that you're going to continue to be inspired to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's that, it's that an object that rest tends to stay at rest an object in motion tends to stay in motion. So why not stay in motion, even if it's the wrong direction or it's, or it's very slow, there's still this idea of staying in motion and something will find you. Yeah. Subscribe to In Between in your favorite podcast app. You can also get every episode of In Between, as well as my other shows, Iterations and Process Driven, and special one-off conversations all in one feed by subscribing to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything. Support the shows by leaving a review or a rating on iTunes or by sharing them on social media. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sedoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysedoris.com. You can also email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. If you'd like to connect with John, you'll find him on Instagram at John Wilkening, that's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G, or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. As always, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you on the next one.